Hello again, welcome. You're tuned to the Brattlecast, a first-hand look at second-hand books and so much more with the owner of one of the nation's premier antiquarian bookstores, the Brattle Bookshop. It's located on West Street, uh, literally downtown. You can't get any more downtown than uh, Brattle. And of course, uh, joining me is Ken Gloss, who owns the store, has a great team working with him, and we get together and do these podcasts. Now, you love being on the podcast, but you also love going out and doing lectures. I I love doing lectures. Uh, it, they're a lot of fun. It's a way I get to see people who don't come into the city. But it also is, has a very practical reasons too. It keeps the name and the store. You're sort and, of the Johnny Appleseed of books and book buying and book selling because you're out there. Why? Why is this so appealing to you? Well, one of the things is a lot of people who are in the used, rare, very rare book business. There's very small businesses, and a lot of them in many ways, take on the personality of whoever's doing it. And everybody, if they're successful, obviously works out a way that their business works. Some of them are in closets almost and don't want to meet anybody, but they have the right books and they meet people. Growing up, my father owned the store, and he used to be on TV, on the Channel 2 auction. He used to get on radio. He... Uh, didn't do as many talks, but he was always every once in a while asked to speak at a library. And one of the things that I definitely learned from him was getting the name out there was very important. The public relations, the PR, the way we do it, the having people think of you when they think of used and rare books uh, is important. And it takes a little bit of a talent and practice being able to go out and speak. And I was at a book show very recently in Brooklyn uh, in the Greenpoint area, which was a great book show. I was, they have an appraisal day. I was doing the appraisal day. And one of the other appraisers said to me, you do a lot of these lectures. Why? And I've had that question not only from colleagues, from librarians, but customers. Well, a lot of it is self-interest. I want my name out there. Uh, I want to be able to meet people. I want to be able to see people. And the reality is it's fun to meet these people. Uh, You go out to a local library, a local historical society. Usually I speak in the evening around 6, 6.30. I also uh, find that I get larger crowds the further away from Boston I am. Mm. I assume that's partly because anyone right in the Boston area can come see me anytime. But uh, I set these up and I give a talk and I talk for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I do question and answer. I show off uh, show and tell. I tell stories and anecdotes. Um, I bring along a program from the 1912 World Series, a brochure from the Titanic, a page from the 1500s that people can pass around and touch, a cookbook from the 1700s. But I mainly tell stories. And people ask me, well, why don't you teach this? Why don't you... And I say, well, I could put people asleep in five minutes if you do that. Here's something that is very important to this whole discussion. One of the great icebreakers in any conversation with any group of people is, have you read a good book lately? I can't think of, I mean, we've done 60 or plus, 60 plus of these. I can't think of a more interesting jumping off point than books. And then when you bring in a Ken Gloss and you talk about rare books and the stories behind them, there's so much content there. Well, there is, and I do the talk, and I like to think people come to the talk 
because they like to hear me speak and that. That's not really why they show up. At the end of the talk, I do appraisals. <laughs> and, and I know full well 80 to 90% of those people who come. But you're smart to do it at the end. I do it at the They've end. They've got to sit through that brilliant <laughs> talk of yours. And, and the reality is I try to entertain. And what I, what I find is, again, if you go in and try to teach, it gets boring. But if you go in and tell stories and tell anecdotes and you know just give examples and people leave the talk going, Gee, old books are fun. It's a successful talk. Uh, what I hope is, and a lot of my colleagues, it actually, this works out very well for me. A lot of my colleagues envision that I do these talks, and I have a truck outside, and by the time I leave the truck, my truck is filled with rare and valuable books, and I've just essentially made potentially thousands and thousands of dollars. It never happens, <laughs> ever. And and I'm in a way, I'm very happy that that doesn't happen because if it actually happened that way, then all my colleagues would be out doing it too. That's true. I've got, what happens is sometimes someone a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now will remember my name. They'll remember where – they won't remember even where they heard it, but they remember my name and that's part of it. I also tell you, it's, I don't. I take it very, very seriously. I have a person who works with me with, with public relations. Mm -hmm. Well, if you speak at the local library, he can usually get me on either a local radio station, in the local newspaper, the library sends out notices. And someone told me once, if you put an advertisement in a newspaper on, and so on – People will look at that ad. They know you've paid for that ad. They know you put that ad on. If you go and you're speaking at a library, at a museum, at some other very well-known place, not only are you getting your name out there, but in a way that institution is also supporting you. Sure. And he's, sure, he's he right. told me that that actually is worth – hundreds of advertising. Uh, he, in some ways, uh, calls it guilt by association, <laughs> G-I-L-T. In other words, the fact that you can associate and these people are willing to have you says a lot about what you're doing. I have a question about how things have evolved in terms of the audiences because you've been doing this a long time. And um, I like to think that people who are of a younger age are still as fascinated and interested. Are you demographically? Is it still a, a middle age and upper uh, crowd for the most part, or do you get younger people? Well, for the most part, it's a middle aged and older crowd, and it's not so much that younger people don't come. It's not that younger people aren't interested, but if you do a talk at a library on Thursday night at six o'clock or six thirty, likely it, who are you going to get? Right. It, it, it's you know a lot of it is that I know. I have to admit, I like speaking at 6, 6.30, not 7, 7. I get to work at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> and, and, and I like to, you know, but I like to uh, do it so that I get home. Many of the talks that I do are two or three hours outside the city. So I get home. I'll start at 5.30 in the morning. I'll get home at 11 at night. But what I do find is that occasionally people do bring in really wonderful books. Uh, I was at a lecture recently. And uh, the people were showing me things, and most of the things are 
books. They're, they're nice. They're older. Some might have a little value. Some don't. Uh, some people you have to very gently say, it's nice, but it's not valuable. And the strange part about that is more often than not, they'll go, great. That's fabulous. We're so happy. Now we can get rid of it. <laughs> now we can give it away. Now we can let the grandchildren read or it. Or read it on the beach and, and not worry. The, and exactly. Right. Now, if you tell someone their book's worth $20,000, they're happy too. I'm sure they are. But that 50 to <laughs> that fifty to $100 yeah. is hard. But recently I went to a talk and a man – had a, an older book. I saw, I saw him bring it up. It looked like it was from the 1700s. And it was. It was a book called Poems on Various Occasions by a woman named Phyllis Wheatley. It was done in Boston. Well, Phyllis Wheatley was a slave. She was a black slave mm -hmm. in the Boston area. And she is the first literary publication of a black woman in the United States. Wow, it's impressive. It's impressive. She signed the book. Her signature was on it. It's probably a twenty dollars or $25,000 book. So this is something that somebody brought because Someone they brought. knew you were going to be at the library and, and you would do appraisals. Yeah, and they, they wanted to know. Now, I haven't heard since. I don't know what will happen, but I told them it, it was a very valuable book. And I think they had a sense that it was worth something. But you but made their, it, their evening. <laughs> made their evening. And who knows? I've done talks where uh, I did one talk up in Vermont, and a lady had a very nice book by Benjamin Franklin, a first edition. And she sort of indicated, yeah, I might like to do something with this. And, you know, for the first week or so, you're excited. Maybe she's going to call. Maybe the And then time goes by, and you sort of, uh, uh, well, mm. you know, two years later, I get a call. Do you remember when you were in Vermont, had this book? Well, I'm coming to Boston. We ended up working it out. We end, She ended up doing quite well with it. I had a customer for it. But it was two years. Uh, one of the more interesting finds I had once, and this was, again, a number of years ago. I was in one of the suburbs of Boston, and we were doing the appraisals, and it was the general stuff. And a lady had a box, and she said, this has been up in the attic. You know, family left it there. And I'm actually pulling out papers. This is worth $100. This is worth a couple of hundred dollars. This is worth a few hundred. And, you know, it was nice and interesting and older. And then I pull out a piece of paper, and I unfold it, and it says, a declaration of independence. <laughs> it wasn't the first edition. It was an edition done in Salem about two weeks later. It was worth a half a million dollars. <laughs> and, and the reality Ooh, is baby. I suspect that that had been in her attic since 1776 and nobody had paid any attention to it. And, of course, what happens is she puts it in the box, leaves. You know, it was like, oh, OK, thank you. And, and out about a year and a half later, I was looking through some auction catalogs Found Tur it. Turned up, yeah. uh, and it sold for about half a million dollars. Incredible. So, so one of the fun parts about doing these lectures is meeting people, is seeing people, uh, is seeing the books. And it's also a lot of people won't drive into the city of Boston. Uh, the traffic, they're afraid. They, it's, you know, it's, it's an effort. And this is my way of not only getting me out, but also getting the local PR and publicity. Obviously, uh, within reason, but I would love for you to say right now to the audience listening how it is people can request you 
What's the easiest way to do that? Well, what, what, what happens is a lot of times I do a talk at one library or one historical society, and the, the curators or the librarians talk to each other, or they see the, the article in their local paper. They call me, and if I can possibly do it, I do it. Uh, usually they're uh, about six to eight months in advance. I limit myself generally to doing two a month. Mm. And one of the reasons I did that is early, early on when I started doing this full time, I figured out that I could work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and love it. I also like to see my family. <laughs> yeah, that's You're not a workaholic because you love it and because it's not overtaking you, but it could easily overtake you is what it you're saying. Absolutely could easily. Yeah, so, so I said demand. to myself, I like doing these lectures. I like getting out. But in general, two, two a month, that's what I do. Now, I have a set lecture – uh, so it's not that hard to prepare. I have my stories. I do question and answer. And one of the reasons I love doing question and answer is I know what I'm going to say through most of the talk. Question and answer, that keeps me interested. Mm. And people will ask, well, how do we care for books? How do we take care of the books? What do we do? How do we do this? And every once in a while, you get sort of, I'm getting divorced how do I take make sure my husband doesn't get the best books? Or or we have an estate coming up, and could you come to my house and do an appraisal so I know which ones to take so my siblings don't get them? I mean, you get and you almost you don't know how to answer some of those, uh, but eventually you get it. And you, and you hear it all you when hear, you're out there on the you, on the stump. You hear it all, yeah. and then every once in a while you get a, a specific lecture. Uh, and someone will ask for a subject. I actually had uh, a lecture to a librarian group, and they were asking about selling books as librarians. And a whole subset of that lecture was how to do that without getting involved in theft, stealing, uh, anyone questioning theft, preference. So you can get into all sorts of interesting sub-areas of talks. Well, Ken is out there twice a month, but he's also in the store just about every day, except for Sundays, right? Except for Sundays. And I, I'll i just add one thing. Sure. If you go to our webpage, at the top on the heading, there's a thing that says events. If you click on that, all of the places that I'm oh. scheduled to speak are usually listed there. But if you're looking and you want me to... now. The other thing that people ask me a lot is, what do you charge? How much is it? And I maybe this isn't a good sales pitch, but what I tell them is I like doing it. I do it mostly for the PR and, the, and for getting my name out. And hopefully 10 years from now, someone will call me with a great estate and that will pay off in the long run. And since I've been doing this 20 or 30 years, that 10 years doesn't look that much. Uh, but I'll say the reality is, if you have an honorarium and you pay everybody, I'm happy to accept it. If you want to pay me $10,000, <laughs> I'd be thrilled. But also, if you have no budget, no uh, money to spend, I'll do it anyways. Good deal. <laughs> but don't broadcast that. You can well, podcast that, but don't broadcast that. <laughs> I, you know, I don't mind. No, I, I'm kidding, I enjoy I'm getting out. Uh, and, and as much as I can possibly – possibly today. I love public institutions. And it does bring people together talk, talking about books and learning about books. And yeah. your 
your ability to tell stories is evident by the 60 plus podcasts that we've We've got and many more to come. Well, the other thing that I do with every podcast, I bring a card along. Every lecture, yes, is I tell them if you like the stories here, listen to our podcast. You can have us anytime, <laughs> anywhere. Thank you so much, Ken. Ken Gloss, and of course, if you want to know more, go to brattlebookshop.com and keep listening and and keep writing in with requests. We take requests here for topics. You've been listening to the Brattlecast. Take care. 